Hi, Gavin. Hi, Louis. Uh, and hi, listeners. Yes, hello. Welcome to our uh, spooky boudoir. Uh, it's a study. Your yeah. spooky boudoir. Our spooky boudoir. <laughs> My boudoir is always yeah. very spooky, but I, for like different reasons. The uh, I do try and keep it cobweb free. It's not always easy because <laughs> you're old. <laughs> <laughs> so, Louis. <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome to the mixed reviews. We're a movie slash film podcast about um, movies, movies and film. The cinema. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. We clearly take ourselves very seriously. Right. And if you are not a fan of the cinema... Get the fuck out. Yeah. Just go. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys can notice this, but Gavin's drinking, but I'm not. I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking at all because I've been wasted this entire weekend. <laughs> So this is Halloween weekend, by the way. Yeah. We're trying to get this episode out to you while it's still spooky times, uh-huh. but we realize the the planning is perhaps not the greatest, and this might end up being like our November first episode. But still, you can blame that on Gavin. Yeah, blame that on. Wait, what? Blame it on the rain. Blame it on the. Oh. It's very rainy. It's out. very rainy, in New York. Oh my god. Um, I, this was not the right day for me to find out I have a hole in my shoe. <laughs> but uh, and yet. <laughs> Small blessings. So, Louie, before we get into this week's topic, which, right. if you've read the episode description, you already know what it is, but we'll hold you in suspense just a little longer. Mm, suspenseful. I love that. Oh, we have some old business to we get to. We do have some old business. Uh, last episode, we talked about witches. Witches. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, my mom does an incredible witch laugh, and if I can get her to do it over the phone, which I have done before to impress friends. Uh, <laughs> to impress friends? To impress friends. Wow. You don't... Your friends are cool, huh? You clearly don't hang out with the right crowd. Right, I, I don't. I don't. I really don't. Um, the uh, maybe I'll slide in the episode. I'm not going to do that to my mom, <laughs> but uh, my mom does have a very impressive witch laugh. <laughs> I believe you. Well, thank you. Um, so we asked you to go to our Twitter and vote for uh, what your favorite um movie about witches or features witches in. And um, Gavin's pick, Bell Book and Candle, got eight percent. Yeah, it's the clear loser. Clear loser, like that's what you get for trying to be like. You know, I try. I work really hard. I work all day. I come home to this. Ungrateful people. I don't know if you guys can hear that, but that's my eyes like rolling into the back of my skull and retreating. Um, it's actually pretty impressive. Uh, but yeah, go watch Bell Book and Candle. I guess is all I can say to that one. Read the rest of the poll, Louis. Uh, the craft came in at twenty one percent. Um, other also came in at 21%, and my pick, Hocus Pocus, came in at 50%. Yeah, it got the most votes. The uh, clear winner! Yes, yes, clearly pandering to the crowd. I mean, honestly, I can't help that I like things that are fun, <laughs> and that other people think is also fun, so... That's right, make witches great again. Donald Trump over here. How pandering. dare you? <laughs> oh my god! How dare you sully the name of Hocus Pocus <laughs> like this? Um, what were some of the other suggestions that we got? Because we definitely got a couple. We did. We got um, someone said Halloween Town. Um, yes. Someone uh, uh, s- said the witch. Right? Yeah. Somebody did say the witch, and uh, my friend Todd, uh, who lives in California, uh, said Suspiria. Yeah. Someone did say Suspiria. Yeah. That's right. So very uh, excited about that. I can't find um, any of our replies right now because well, I'm bad at Twitter. Yeah, you are. Um, yeah, I really, really am. So I guess that covers our last week's thing. If you liked our show about witches, feel free to tell us, by the way. It, it seemed to get a really positive response. So yeah. I'm just curious as to, you know, I'm always curious as to what, like, what draws people and what doesn't draw people. And that episode seemed to draw. So, it's hey. like the episodes when I record with my pants off. Yeah. People the, uh, seem to I mean, like I like that. Yeah. <laughs> The um, it just brings the energy up. It, you know? it really does. 
But we'll get to this week's topic. And this week's topic was actually a suggestion from yeah. a listener. Yeah. And this week's topic is Universal, Universal Monsters. Monsters. Um, I, yeah. And this is like, we've gotten like some suggestions for uh, a couple of episodes, but this one seemed really timely. And, it did. Yeah. And also this was kind of like a opportunity for us to kind of go back into older movies like we did with Joan Crawford, which, and that was a really fun episode. Um, so I know you had a proverbial leg up. Yes. On uh, this. Cause... I mean, I've always got that leg up. Um, <laughs> just always here. <laughs> I'm here. You know, uh, because you're like 80 years old. Yes. So you were there when these movies came out. Yes. Right. Also true. Um, no, I have been a huge fan of the Universal Studios monster movies. Uh, this all goes back to my teenage years when my friend Tim would bring me down to his basement. Ooh, and, Tim, uh, got the moves? Yeah, no, I mean, he would just do it to make other people as weird as him. And, um, got it, got it, got, got, it, got, it, it. got it, yeah, yeah. Right. And, uh, he succeeded. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and here you are today. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I've been a huge, he had all of them on VHS. In fact, I, I remember at one point attempting to draft up a document which said if he died mysteriously, Seriously, I would receive them all. Wow. But, like, that's a dead format now, so what would I even do with all those VHSs? <laughs> and also, Tim's dead. Um, <laughs> but, I was uh, waiting for it. But, uh... Tim, but, rest in peace, sweetie. R.I.P. This podcast yeah. episode goes out to you. I'm pouring one out, but not really... I'm just pouring it into my mouth. Right, right. Let me pour one out into my mouth. Into my mouth. Uh, for Tim. Now oh. I'm gonna waste this sherry. Not, not, not for Tim. Not for um, Tim. And, uh, yeah, and... All that sort of culminated when last year I was asked on a friend's podcast, a friend of mine uh, used to do this podcast called I Do Movies Badly, which is, I believe, on a hiatus. It might be on a permanent hiatus. I don't think he's decided yet. Um, Where he asked me to come in and talk about Universal Studios Monsters. And that was a lot of fun, and I was apparently the most controversial guest he had. Oh my god. Because um, I come from the uh, critique school where the critic is allowed to critique the film. What? Some people in his audience tend to believe that like you can only 100% believe directorial intent and only the directorial intent that's been published the one thing that I like about the Universal Studio or one of the many things I like about the Universal Studios monsters is there's a very um, apparent queer reading of a lot of them. Oh, yeah. And that is a huge no-no with some purists, which I don't understand. Ew. Yeah, and uh, so I... Uh, I don't think so, honey. Not yeah, on this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> so you're gonna get some queer readings. <laughs> and now a reading from the queers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's my turn to do the rewind. So let's move into that. Let's go! Just a quick note. Yes. The we talked about this a little bit. There's a lot of history here with not only yes. these specific movies, but Universal Studios. Um, and so I was gonna I was gonna say this one presents its own unique problem, and I know I feel like I say that every week, but like this one is so entwined to the history of Universal. Right. Which is uh, an interesting thing because we're essentially talking about a film company. Um, whose job it is to make money. Right. And, like, a lot of the decisions were based on that and everything. And also, like, I don't know, that there's a lot of people involved in a film studio. It's, you know, when we cover an actor, or even when we cover, like, adaptations by Stephen King, it's still, like, you're able to narrow it down to, like, a couple people. Right. Um, this is a much broader topic. It's... So. Uh, <laughs> some might say this topic's a monster. <laughs> 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 Stupid. Oh. Um, so, I... 
Gavin, please fill in the blanks. Yes, um, I will. Listeners, I will do my best to... listeners, um, do not at me if I get something wrong or miss something out. Mm, same with me. As as I've said, I've been a huge fan. I have a ton of books. I've read a ton of stuff about this, but this is the one I'm the most nervous about doing the rewind for because I'm I'm nervous we'll get some things wrong. So if we do get some things wrong, just be polite about it. That's all. You just, can correct us all you want. Just but be you... polite when you're doxing me, okay, yeah. guys. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, in the 1920s, uh, Universal Studios, I'm reading from, uh, a article from the AV Club by Heath, uh, Phipps. Um, and it's, yeah, uh, Universal Studios enjoyed a lot of success in the 1920s, uh, with movies featuring monsters, murder, and the macabre. Um, in the 30s, though, was when it really blew up. I'd say... in the 20s, the first movie that they did was The Hunchback of Notre Dame, right? Right, which is funny because it's not traditionally a monster story. The studio was founded by Carl Lemley, a German-Jewish immigrant who was devoted to his family. Once he had fought for the little man in the picture business, fought and won. Now his son was being groomed to take over the studio, which employed something like 70 relatives. Lemley was not an educated man, but he employed a secretary who was... He made Irving Thalberg the head of the studio at 21, and he wasn't even a relative. Thalberg produced for Lemley an epic. Directed by Wallace Worsley, The Hunchback was just another well-made historical drama. The reason no one who saw it ever forgot it was due to Lon Chaney. Quasimodo was a monster, But just as Victor Hugo had shown him as a human being, so did Cheney. A lot of that comes from the makeup Lon Cheney, who was the lead actor. Lon Cheney, who was like a monster makeup artist. Yeah. They all knew how to beat him up. Exactly. uh, He garnered the name The Man of a Thousand Faces much later in in his life. And uh, yeah, he really like, I mean, he would torture himself Um, for The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like he built an eyepiece that covered, you know, and it twisted a a body brace that twisted his body and his leg almost completely around so he could walk with a limp. What he did, uh, Fan of the Opera, he like built these devices that would keep his eyes open the entire time. I saw a documentary um, called Monster Madness, and someone mentioned that Lon put walnuts under, like, on his face and put, like, a skin, like, um, like makeup over it so it looked like he was bulging out of his face for a hunchback. So, um, crazy, crazy things. This guy was an, a great actor and also a great um, makeup artist. So that's 1923. So that's right. the era of silence. Right. And then in 1931 was... Is that the first when um, Dracula comes out, right? Yeah, both Dracula and Frankenstein actually come out in 1931. Frankenstein came out uh, nine months after After Dracula. And that was um, in large part because of Carl Lemley, right? Yeah, Carl Lemley Jr. Jr. Yeah. And was he 21 when he decided to produce this movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Um, you know what's fun about nepotism? (laughs) Everything. Right, right. Um, again, from this, uh, this uh, documentary that I saw, um, this woman, she was just like, you know, Carl Lemley Jr., he really just uh, had the nerve and guts to be like, no, we should really uh, put this on, on on the screen and um, and wanted to make bigger, more like elaborate, uh, this big, huge blockbuster movies. And it totally paid off because uh, these movies just like blew up and um, Dracula was actually on Broadway. Yes. And they got, um, what the, I knew his name, Bella Lagasse? Yeah, Lagosi. Lagosi, I'm yeah, so yeah. sorry. Lagosi. Exactly. It's not Lagasse. Um, <laughs> his name was Bela Lugosi. Now, that, that's the correct way of pronouncing it. 
but that was probably a little bit too much for people to take. And so he became immortalized under the name of Bela Lugosi. And he actually played Dracula on stage, and they just brought him over to do the um, version as well. As well as basing itself on the play's script, the film also took on the play's Broadway lead, a Hungarian actor called Bela Lugosi. I am Dracula. A veteran of Budapest's leading theatres, Lugosi's American career had previously been limited by his accent. Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. He didn't really know English, and for the first couple of films he made, including Dracula while he was on Broadway, uh, the rumor is that he learned his lines phonetically, yeah. and so the only English he knew were the lines to Dracula and the other films he was doing. He lived Dracula. Yeah, he lived Dracula, and... um. There's a there's a podcast I listen to, uh, not that I'm telling you to go elsewhere, but uh, there's a podcast I listen to called You Must Remember This, hosted by Karina Longworth. So and, good. Um, so good. Yeah, and the latest couple episodes have been dedicated to both Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff, her new series is, uh, and she's, she's really a fantastic podcast host and fantastic researcher. I will say the latest episode's consistent bashing of Lon Chaney Jr. is a little unnecessary, and we'll get to him later. Okay. But, like, I was a little turned off by, like... He had enough problems. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, after Dracula comes uh, Frankenstein, and the, the main th- thing happening in the 20s and when these movies are coming out is this is, like, cementing these characters, like, in cultural canon. Like, yeah. what Frankenstein looks like is because this movie came out and Frankenstein has, like, the flat top... But because the, of Jack Pierce's makeup. Right. Jack Pierce ended up uh, creating a lot of the monster makeup. Right. It's very funny. And it's so funny, um, uh, Gloria Stewart, is that her name? Um, uh, old, old woman from Titanic. Oh, I don't know her name. Yeah, she she's in a lot of... She's in a lot of the monster movies. Oh, she's cool. in The Invisible Man and she's in uh, uh, The Mystery of Blue Room and uh, she did an interview not too long before she died about like talking about Jack Pierce. And she was like, he wasn't a friendly man, but like, but he was like really good at his job. Like he expected you to show up on time and like waited. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And so when you think about Dracula and like the big Cape and like, uh, how everything this looks uh, and all that lore, it's coming from these movies. Um, the mummy. Yeah. Um, yeah, literally the mummy. uh, That's one of the, the Mummy series was actually one of my blind spots before we did this, and actually, like, the mum, like, after the first Mummy movie, everything that we think pop culturally about mummies, this, it comes from, like, the second Mummy movie. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, after those, so the Mummy was actually in the 30s. Was 32. It was right. the next year. Right. Um, and then a trilogy of films based on Edgar Allan Poe, um, Tales, um, came out. Um, and also, like, these actors, they were like part of the Universal family. Like, so yeah. you see Bela Lugosi, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Boris Karloff, um, uh, in the, a lot of these movies as, as these, uh, characters, but then also as other characters yeah. in the same, in these, um, different m- monster movies. So it's kind of like cool. Like they have like that look and that, um, they can emote through like these kind of like really dense characters. Like, yeah. Well, if you think about Frankenstein, he's, Wearing all this fucking makeup and he's like kind of bumbling around. Right. Like, well, one of the one of the most famous like things about the like supposed Karloff uh, Lugosi rivalry, which has definitely been overplayed over the years, and a part of that is because of the movie Ed Wood. 
Frankenstein was offered to Lugosi, and he really wanted to play the doctor. He was not interested in the monster because he, like, quote unquote, did not believe that the monster was a romantic role. And once Karloff took the role, it like skyrocketed him to fame. But it's so funny because uh, you watch the original Frankenstein and it says like the monster, and there's like a question mark. Yeah. And then the next film that they do together, Boris Karloff, because he becomes such a success. Uh, is only billed as Karloff. Yeah. Like, he's not even... Yeah, and yeah. it's so funny to, like, see the sort of, like, career path perhaps Bela Lugosi could have had. I don't know if he necessarily would have, but, like, he could have maybe moved it more towards into the Karloff I think, realm. I'm, from what I... Like, the little research I did do, um, he talks about... Or the sense that I got was that he thought he was going to have a specific kind of career yeah. that was not necessarily going to exist just in this monster universe. And unfortunately for him, he ended up getting typecast and could not break out of that. And I think he wanted to, like, be a more romantic yeah. leading man. It is it is funny because Karloff's first breakout role was a makeup role. It didn't pin him to yeah. only be the yeah. monster. Yeah. You know? The picture was handed to an up-and-coming English director, James Whale. He needed to find a monster fast. Sitting in the Universal Canteen one day, Whale spotted a fellow diner and beckoned him over. Your face, he said, has startling possibilities. The owner of that face was another expat Englishman whose birth name was William Henry Pratt. Pratt's distinctive features owed something to Indian blood in his family. After more than two decades of theatre work and bit parts in films, he'd become resigned to never having a major role. His stage name was Boris Karloff. It was my father's 81st film, and no one had seen the first 80, essentially. So after 20 years in the business, my father became an overnight success millions of sequels and like this franchise of these uh, movies started coming out um there's bride of frankenstein dracula's daughter all sorts of things that came out after um the edgar Allan poe movies um and then it wasn't until uh was it the 40s that um wolfman com- comes out yeah the wolfman comes out in the 40s um and they had previously done a werewolf um, Werewolf movie. of London, yeah. yeah. Which was not as well-received or... Um... Which is funny, because apparently the critical consensus nowadays seems to be that it, it like people have come around on it. But I gotta say, movie's pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest. Um, the Wolfman came out in 41, um, and this was the first story that they kind of wrote from nothing, Right. I mean, all the other things were like legends and like old or novels like Dracula and Frankenstein. Right. And the Wolfman, they kind of just like came up with scratch. And so it's funny to think that they like even now when you think about werewolves and like the whole silver bullet and the howling at the moon and all that shit. Like this is stuff that Universal and their team um, built from the ground up. So that's kind of um, insane. And uh, in 43, they did a remake of Phantom of the Opera. Yes. uh, Starring Claude Rains. And, like, I don't know how much more we want to... I mean, this, the amount of uh, mummy movies coming out at this time... Oh, did I miss Invisible Man? Yes, yeah, but you, didn't, you didn't mention... Which is also Claude Rains. Uh, but, like, yeah, that's another good... The Invisible Man... Um, to if I, I, I watched Invisible Man, and I, and I tried to watch 
like just like get the the main ones out of the way. I was yeah. like, I, don't, I did not watch like every sequel. I was like, okay, I'm not gonna watch like the fucking fourth Frankenstein movie. I got to move on to like Wolfman. Um, the fourth is a good place to stop if you ask me. Anyways, <laughs> for that one, but um, the Invisible Man is like the only uh, monster movie where like the monster is just like a dick. Mm-hmm. He's just a bad guy. Like I. I mean, it's the drug, first of all. <laughs> it's the, right. But like, but he's yeah. like, imagine the power. I shall offer my secret to the world with all its terrible power. The nations of the world will bid for it, thousands, millions. The nation that wins my secret can sweep the world with invisible armies. Jack, I want you to let my father help you. You know how clever he is. He'll work with you day and night until you find that second secret, the one that'll bring you back to us. Then we'll have those lovely, peaceful days again, out under the trees, after your work in the evening. Your father? Clever? <laughs> you think he can help me? He's got the brain of a tapeworm, a maggot, beside mine. Don't you see what it means? Power, power to rule, to make the world grovel at my feet. That movie, uh, te- yeah. the t- technological wonder. I'm watching this yeah. movie and I'm like, how did they do this? And it doesn't necessarily hold up between the next, uh, like, uh, I, I saw a bunch of the sequels. I saw Invisible Agent and Invisible, uh, Invisible Man Returns and uh, Invisible Woman. And especially in Invisible Woman, like, the technology is not up there. And I think it's because really? they're trying to do it as I'm cheap, cheap. As, yeah. yeah. Um, that was, around the 40s is when, like, just, like, a glut of these movies started coming out. Right. And th- I think the movie industry also was changing. Yeah. Um, now, like, there was uh, a lot of, the, I think, their more interesting and better stuff was pre-code. Yeah. And then uh, the industry starts changing, and there's more and more um, studios putting out more and more stuff. This King Kong also comes around this time, which was put out by RKO. Yeah. Which is our competitor. And... Um, that kind of like reinvigorated the entire genre. And so I think Universal, um, tried to kind of like catch up. Right. If that makes sense. No, it does. And then, and then the fifties comes around and that sort of like, I feel like that's, that's the ar- tail end. Yeah. Right? That's when the nail starts going in the coffin because you, I mean, this actually starts more towards 48, but like you start getting the Abbott and Costello movies, which by the way, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein <laughs> is a fantastic movie. Okay. No, um, noted. But, um, but, like, the, you know, it starts to become more of a joke. It's not necessarily about scaring people and whatnot. And and then you finally get to the creature of the Black Lagoon in 54. And right. he's really the tail end of your monster films. Because then they sort of move into, you know, science fiction. There's a lot of, like, UFO alien yeah. stuff going on. And, um, like, admittedly, like, people love the Mole Man and people love this island Earth. Um, and I think this island Earth is a really great movie. Um, I will stake silent on the Mole People. And, um, but, uh... But yeah, that's, and it's really like, it really sort of ends in the 50s. There's one movie that was made in 1960, The Leech Woman, and like. That sounds awful. Yeah, I didn't see it. Meanwhile, the world had entered an atomic age. Hollywood responded with a new set of terrors science fiction monsters that would be defeated by scientists and soldiers, not with a stake or a silver bullet. By the early 1950s, horror cinema was pretty much extinct after barely two decades. This very short version wraps up just by saying that their legacy is just, you know... I mean, they're, they're, yeah, it's pop culture itself. Like you, Literally. Yeah, like the, the image of Dracula in the cape with the widow's peak, mm-hmm. like with the very Hungarian accent. Right, right. And like, is, like Bela Lugosi like, is the person that like invented all of this. And when you right. see... And it's funny, like, that movie... 
specifically is like I thought it was okay. I thought the atmosphere was amazing though. Yeah. Like, if you just like, it's a kind of like half silent. Um, there's like, it's very quiet. It's one of those things you don't expect from it. It's one of the things people don't talk about. There's little to no score. In fact, I don't think no, there is a score. No, in that movie, there's like music always playing. Oh, it's like, it's like a violin, like kind of like. I think you saw the Philip Glass what score. Yeah. So there was a there was a score written later on um, by Philip Glass uh, to be played over it because the movie is essentially almost a silent film except for with dialogue, and so it's easy to put a score on that film. And uh, yeah, the the main version of Dracula is like super duper quiet. I had no like, idea, and I, I liked the music. I thought it was like really creepy and weird. Like it's it's literally just like a violin and kind of like. Yeah, I think gross. you saw the I think you saw the Philip Glass version. Interesting. That's cool. I mean, it's it's out there. It's not like yeah. I mean, Universal even has it. I have a Blu-ray set to Louis' right right now, and like it's on the the Blu-ray. So and thinking about you know Frankenstein, the way he looks and acts. Yeah, um, thinking about like all the spoofs that have been done, like and even like these kitty mon- um kitty movies that come out, like uh, Hotel Transylvania, whatever. Yeah, like all that stuff. Like all those monsters look and act. Like count uh the count from Sesame Street. Street, yeah. Like that is pure um taking from these Universal monsters. And like and it, they influence so many things that even like uh the Hammer films, which maybe someday we'll do Hammer, but that's also a huge <laughs> undertaking. Uh, Hammer were these uh films that started in the fifties, um, and uh they were a British film company, and they essentially started making their decision was is that we're gonna remake the Universal Studios monster movies without. Universal's permission. And eventually they got a licensing right. deal with Universal so they could make their monsters look like them. But, like, that's the Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, like, Dr- Dracula's Risen from the Grave. And, like, the funny the funny thing about that is that they, they are clearly influenced by <laughs> it's like these Universal Studios things that have come before, but they can't say that. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, uh... It's wild, and and that's kind of we'll get into this in the fast forward later. But that's kind of like why Universal's like, oh, we have all this property that right. like is a known thing. Like we need to like start doing some reboots and all that mess. Yeah, when we get into the fast forward, I ha- I have a a couple questions about like the the earlier stuff, but I want to save it for them because it's more forward thinking. I feel like, but uh, so since you you have a very brief history, and uh, right. we didn't even talk about some of the filmmakers, but we can probably touch on that a little bit later. Um, but uh. Why don't we move into our picks? Picks. Let's do our one-star reviews. Awesome. It was hard for me to choose, uh, and uh, I, I tried to watch, you know, a good amount of the movies. I really didn't watch any of the sequels except for Bride of Frankenstein because that is such a yeah. popular... You really um, should have watched Dracula's Daughter. You really should have. But you I'll... really don't need to tell me what to do. <laughs> um... <laughs> You didn't hear him hit me. <laughs> <laughs> this is an abusive relationship, Gavin. Um, but uh, it was pretty clear to me, um, and a lot of them kind of feel the same, but my least favorite movie has to go to Creature from the Black, Black Lagoon. I And there was nothing like that I hated about. Like I was going to pick, um, what's it called? Captive Woman? Wild Woman? Yeah. So that, can we talk about that just real briefly, sure. by the way? There's a, there's a Universal Studios monster that no one talks about. 
And that's the the Jungle Woman, um, who is played first of all, who is played by Aquanetta, which drag queens amazing. If, if, if there's not a drag queen out there that has not taken Aquanetta yet, right. like what the fuck are you doing? What's it called? Um, it's Wild Woman. It's the captive Paula the Ape Woman slash Gorilla Girl is the character. Yeah, and it's it's. Her films are not the most PC of the films, I will say. It's called Captive Wild Woman. Captive Wild Woman. But this is a character... Like, this is the only female Universal Studios monster. And no one talks about her. She's, like, literally a forgotten... I think... I don't think the movie is very good. I don't think it's very good either. And I think it must be very hard, especially now, to revisit this specific monster and how she is a monster and, like... I mean, essentially, her whole deal is uh, she's a, a scientist who, like, is really into, like, glands. Yeah. And thinks, like, he can, like, make people and sh- d- help literally everything by fucking with your glands. Um, he, like, finds an ape and then fucks and this girl. Oh, my God. This movie's crazy. I just remembered. Um, there's, like, a girl whose glands are insane and um, he just... And really... They're not insane. She's just like a hormonal lady. Yeah. But like, because she's a hormonal lady in uh, well, the I 50s. Mean, I, I once again mentioned that this is not a PC film by any means. Like, but. in the 50s, uh, he decides like he's gonna like take her glandular stuff and put it into the ape and then turn her into a woman. And he does. And she like helps this guy, uh, you know, do circus things with like lions and tigers and shit. Um, but then she sees him kiss another woman, and she goes crazy, and turns back into an ape. Um, yeah, it's really fucking weird. It's really fucking weird, and watching that movie was very hard, because I felt really bad, because I know that they were fucking with those animals in a very aggressive and uncool way. Yeah. Like, it was disgusting to watch. Um, and, and so, like I said, that movie was almost gonna be my pick. Um, (laughs) I would not have blamed you. Um, but... But Creature. Go on. But, and, and... Like I was reading, I was I I looked up and everyone loves Creature of the Black Lagoon and I was like, fuck, why am I a dum dum? The reason why I chose this was you, just I mean you clearly have reasons. Like I don't <laughs> like nope, just cuz <laughs> Um I'll say I chose this instead of uh Captain Wild Woman because I at least was like Captain Wild Woman is bonkers. Yeah. And was like very, very silly. Um an Aquanetta. <laughs> you know, Aquanetta lover. Um and also known as the Venezuelan volcano. Yeah, I could go on and on about right. Aquanetta. She claimed to be part Arapaho, right? And then others believe that she was actually secretly African American. Yeah, yeah, it's In- crazy. Insane. Yeah, um, but I chose Kusha Black Loom because mostly I just thought it was very, very boring. I um, so this movie was made in 1954. It was released in 3D. Yes, and um, it is the last original monster of the Universal Monsters canon, right? And there was actually two creatures that were played um, oh the two people that played the creature oh i was like there's three films there's, there's three films yeah yeah uh, but ben chapman played um the creature on land and Raccoon browning played him underwater and like i read that they're like very um different sized men one of them is very tall um and they also had to like get different suits like one suit in the water was lighter so it could like be filmed um and like be seen um it was directed by jake arnold does that sound right? Yeah. Um, and I... When I first watched the movie, it's about, like, these... Some f- doctors, I guess. And they're in... Doctors, a- I guess. I like that. Scientists, perhaps. Um, the thing... This movie, like, so- 
they're just like spouting off all these things that sound sciencey, and I don't believe them because it sounds so <laughs> fucking like weird. Um, what, they say like, oh, well, they found they essentially find this big fucking hand that looks like the Gilman. Yeah. Um, and they think like, he's a missing link, right? And they're like, oh, this is from the Devonian era, and I was like, what the fuck is that? That sounds fake. And I looked it up, and it's, it's not. It's real. Yeah, it's, it's very real. I have never seen anything like this before. Is important? Yes, I think it is. Very important. We will take one more picture. Then we will dig it out. And also, it is known as the Age of Fish. And I was like, oh my god. Someone was like, guys, there's an Age of Fish. <sighs> my face is so warm right now. Keep going, Louis. Um, <laughs> it was... Oh, it's a kind of fun like story about how they they, they made this movie. Uh, William Allen um, produced it after he like heard a story from this like Mexican cinematographer at this like Citizen Kane like filming party, and um, ten years later he like wrote it down, and then like they kept rewriting it and finally made the, the movie. Um, I don't know. The, the, they I think I read something that it was supposed to be like this Beauty and the Beast thing and. For me, most of it felt like they were just like kind of showing off that they had the technology to shoot underwater. Um, I think the the creature looks cool. I don't think he's very like emotive. Like it's hard, like as opposed to like uh, Frankenstein, where I can like I feel for him. I get it. Right. In this thing, I'm like, wait, he's just. He kind of- I was gonna say he does do. There are a lot of close-ups of him just going like. Bleh, right. Bleh, right. Bleh, Opening bleh, his mouth. Yeah. And, like kind of running around. Um, in this movie, also there's like a bunch of. They're like, I don't, I don't, Gavin, this movie, uh, it, it is, just doesn't do it for you. Yeah. I mean, I, there's like not really a lot of tension. I, I don't think like, listen, it, if I'm going to continue to get shit for picking the witch last week, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not defending you on the creature, but <laughs> if in like in Bride of Frankenstein and like, there's like actual heartbreak, you know, like, yeah. and the, the whole idea of this monster no, feeling I, like an outcast where a creature He's supposed to be... I keep calling him Creature. His name's Gilman, right? Yeah, yeah. The Gilman? It's, it's, uh, it's Roy Gilman. Uh, <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Gilman. Um, and I just don't, like... I'm like, what is he doing there? What does he want? Like, what the fuck does he want? I don't understand. Like, he sees this woman. I don't right. know. And... He wants to fuck her. Right. And he wants to fertilize her fishy eggs. Yes. And is I'm that like, not what... That, no, I think, I think then, that's it. Yeah. I think that's it. But I'm like, okay cool i guess <laughs> and like he's kind of and they're hunting him now i'm like why do they just run away i will say everyone in that movie is very attractive yeah um it plays really well in 3d as well and i mean say. and some of the shots were really beautiful but like i was like this is a long shot of me just watching him like in the water swimming around um so yeah of the so, movies i just thought this was the most like ineffective so if if i had to pick um I mean, first of all, I really wish I could give it to every Mummy sequel. <laughs> like, I literally, after the first Mummy, um, and the, literally, they, they wrote themselves in a corner, but the first Mummy is essentially just a remake of Dracula, but with a mummy instead of a vampire. Great. Um, and Boris Karloff plays the the mummy uh, Imhotep, and uh, he wants to... to Boris yeah. Karloff, who's also Frankenstein. Yeah, who's also Frankenstein. And um, and so in the second movie, they introduce a new mummy named Karis, who like... <laughs> I thought you were going to say Karen. <laughs> yeah, named Karen from <laughs> Finance. Fucking Karen from Finance. Oh, the man. mummy. <laughs> exactly. Karen from Egypt. And, um, and Karis uh, fell in love with a uh, a woman and then uh, she died and he in his grief he stole some uh, fucking leaves and like the leaves become the most important things for the next five sequels three of the leaves 
will make enough fluid to keep Carrie's heart beating. Once each night during the cycle of the full moon, you will dissolve three tana leaves and leave the fluid to Carrie's. Lon Chaney Jr. takes over the role in the second sequel. Um, the Lon Chaney Jr., who was also the Wolfman? Who's also the Wolfman. And, like, it just, like, it gets worse and worse as it goes along, except for the fact that, like, some of the characters that are introduced get killed off immediately in the next one, in the third one, and that made me really happy because I hated them. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, they, they, they're they just more and more ridiculous and awful as it goes along, and also the timeline's really fucked up because, like, the, the second movie takes place in 1940, the year it came out, but then the third movie takes place 30 years later, and then the fourth movie is, like, two more years, and then the fifth movie is 25 more years making it set in 1997 but they they didn't just like update (laughs) like so it's like oh yeah no the 40s just lasted forever right um but yeah but i'm not gonna give that crown to them because that would be rude of me to give it to an entire series of movies um i want to give it to um uh, a uh, Boris Karloff starring film from 1944 called The Climax. The Climax. The Climax. The credits say it's based off a play by the same name by Edward Locke even though it has nothing to do with that play. To make matters even worse, uh it was written as a sequel to their remake of Phantom of the Opera starring Claude Rains and then they suddenly decided, no. Um, wait, 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 wait. So it was originally made to be a sequel to The Phantom of the Opera. Yes. And then they finished it and were like Oh, no, they didn't finish. They went into production and were like, no. Okay, okay, okay. Um, So this is directed They're like, guys, lose the mask. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This was written by George Wagner, and the plot is, uh, very simply, uh, um, opera's house physician, as one is wont to have, uh, at the Vienna Royal Theater, uh, by the name of Dr. Horner, murders his fiancée, a prima donna, out of obsession and jealousy. Ten years later, he hears another young singer, played by Susanna Foster, who was in Fan of the Opera, but she's not playing the same character, even though she was the female lead in that. Okay. Um, who reminds him of the late diva, and he's determined to make her sing only for him, even if it means silencing her forever. That description sounds better than the movie is. I actually, for some reason, like the, the Claude Rains Fan of the Opera. I think he's a particularly compelling phantom. I don't think the script's fully there, but it does have problems, but it's not that bad. So the climax is 100% an excuse to do a musical with, like, a angry-looking Boris Karloff. No one dies in the film except for the fiancé in a flashback at the beginning. Is he a monster in this movie? He's evil. He's an evil man. Yeah, who killed his fiancé. So, like, uh-huh. he is absolutely bad, but, like... That's not good. It's not good. He hypnotizes the diva into not singing and then everybody figures it out um and when they do and he's like well i'm gonna kill her they chase him back to his home and you find out he's been keeping the body of his dead wife in a room and then he accidentally knocks down a candle and he burns to death but the performance goes really well guys well, and that's God. the end of the this movie is nothing there's no dramatic arcs in anything the, no one's particularly that interesting and even boris karloff who perhaps has the most fascinating eyes in film history like in terms of being a villain like even his stare is not good enough to like keep you interested the other thing uh 
Turin Bay is the love the love interest of the young of Susanna Foster in the film, and Turin Bay is also in the Mummy movies, and he's an interesting actor. I don't think I like him very much. He's like, uh, he's adorable. He's really adorable. Sweetie, you're so cute. Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, but he really relies on those looks a lot. Stop and relying on that body. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. And I've been meaning to watch this film forever. And I used this as an excuse to finally watch it. And let me, Tell you, I was I was disappointed. Right. Um, Wait. But, so he wants to get the diva to only sing for him. Well, that's what's weird. Okay, I guess this description's a little because he doesn't really want her to sing at all. So he like brings her back to his study, and he is like all like, "Oh, I'm gonna hypnotize her." Rest, my dear, gently slipping away into another world, a world of my design, where you will be helpless without me. Tonight you give your voice and your will to me. So when she like goes to sing this note, she suddenly realizes she can't sing anymore. And that keeps happening to her. And they finally realize that he has like hypnotized her. And what's even weirder is he has a servant um, who was the prima donna servant. And she stayed silent. She knows he killed his wife, but can't prove it. Even though she lives in the house where he's keeping the dead body and never <laughs> thought to like pick the lock or anything. Right. And, um, and she's just been waiting for 10 years for someone to come along and figure it out. And it, why? Why? I don't, yeah, I don't. I, he must pay really well. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was really surprised at how not good it was, especially since, uh, because I find, the Claude Rains fan of the opera to be really lush. And I think that's one of the things I like about it is the, the impeccable design in it. And Claude Rains is a very sympathetic lead. The other thing is I, I really like Boris Karloff. And as you mentioned in Frankenstein, he's very sympathetic. Yeah. He's not in this. He's playing the one note. I am evil. I am evil. I am evil. So it's just, it's the most weakly drawn of any of the movies. And, um, you know, as we mentioned before, there's, there's many categories of their monster films we mostly stuck to the monster films. I did go out of my way and watch a couple of the right. Boris Karloff. Like, I mean, I tried, and, and again, like, so I, my choice for my least favorite, I was like, I want to like get the, make sure and at least right. cover my basis for the classics. And if I, I watched like a couple of things that were like, not, you know, yeah. the Wolfman and uh, Dracula and stuff. Um, but yeah, f- from the classics, like if you're going right. to talk about like the, the monsters, well, I thought the, I mean, kind of the same thing. I don't know what the fuck the Gilman wants in life. Right. And that, and that's kind of why I felt comfortable choosing Climax after savaging the Mummy films. <laughs> um, it, is because it really was intended to be part of the main. And even though it's not, um, considered part of that canon, it really is supposed to be a fan of the opera film. I'm curious as to what they would have done with it, um, right. as a fan of the opera film. Uh, but yeah. It's, yeah. I I wonder what made them be like, never mind. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, they could have... A lot of the characters survived. There's a very weird... I mean, as I've said, the Claude Rains fan of the opera is not without fault. There's a very weird, like, subplot with, like, a love triangle. And it clearly seems like at the end that it's like, oh, they're in a thruple now. (laughs) Like... Like she, she didn't choose. Right. She was just like, "You guys are gonna kiss every now and mm-hmm. then." And I'm gonna watch. I need to watch that. I did not watch that, but now I'm interested. Yeah. Uh, but I guess that would bring us to our five star reviews. So I also had a, a, a little bit of a, a hard time choosing because there's a lot of good 
movies. There's I, a lot of really good movies. Frankenstein is very, very good. Yeah. Um, Bride of Frankenstein is also very, very good. Um, I even like Dracula, even though it's kind of fucking weird, but, like, it just, like, is so engrossing. Um, well, and that's and that's one of the things I kind of want to... Uh, I'll, I'll save it again for the fast-forward, but I'm curious as to what, like... There's some very specific reasons those films are good. Right. And um, I was very close to choosing The Wolfman, actually, just because I thought it was, like, really cool. I like the whole idea of, like... Um, Essentially, it's like any man can, like, be an evil man. Take that Karina Longworth, who thinks that Lon Chaney Jr. is a complete bore. Anyways. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck just happened. Uh, <laughs> but my tr- uh, pick actually goes to The Black Cat. Really? Yeah. I do fucking love The Black Cat. 1934 so is The Black Cat. So The Black Cat is good for a lot of reasons, but it mostly is very good because it's the first movie where they pair uh, Bela Lugosi and uh, Boris Karloff together. Yes. And they are playing neither Frankenstein nor Jack Rilla. It was their biggest box office hit of the year. So, oh. So good for them. Um, That's a fact I did not know. So, hey. So, we, like, open up with this. This movie is about, like, these two newlyweds who are on a train trying to go to Hungary, I think? Or yes. Yeah. Turkey yeah. or something. And there's, like, a mix-up, so they have to share their train compartment with a doctor, um, Vitus Waitergast? That sounds right. That sounds good. It's, it's... I, I won't shame you. Yeah, it's, Be- it's Bella Lugosi, and he's, like, a psychiatrist, and he's, um, who's at war, and he, like, lost his wife, and, um, he's kind of telling them, just, like, what the fuck's he's up to, and he's going to go see an old friend, which is, uh, Boris Karloff's character, Hallmar Polzig? Yeah, that's good. That's right. Okay. I know that one's right. Okay. He, and, um, and in Austria, I think. Yes. Um, so they're on a bus sharing it to go to a place. The bus crashes, uh, because it's raining and shit. And like it is tonight. Like it is tonight. <laughs> um, and you know, the wife character, she's injured. So they take her to, um, Polzig's like fucking castle. Yeah. Compound. As one has. Right. Um, and then she gets fucking weird. First of all, Polzig looks like a crazy, crazy person. Like, the, one of the best hairstyles. That in... hair is insane. Yeah. Um, and it's weird because in this movie, both of them, Polzig and Vidergast, they both kind of seem like spooky, scary, uh, evil dudes. They, neither of them, um, are like particularly, uh, you're like, oh, I'm rooting for this guy because he seems, they both, in my opinion, like, I was like, I am scared of both of you, and you are weird, and these, like, couple is just, like, hanging around, kind of like, <laughs> when can we leave now? <laughs> <laughs> um, and the doctor gives uh, the wife, like, some crazy drugs, and she starts act- acting real fucking weird. Essentially, uh, Polzig is the devil, and he's in charge of this, like, fucking satanic cult, and has yeah. been collecting ladies, and has them, like... In, like, stasis, in his, like, fucking chamber of doom. <laughs> and essentially, it's, like, these two kind of, like, mad scientist characters, like, at war with each other. And uh, Polzig wants to, like, sacrifice the wife. Um, and the other um, Vitergast is like, no, don't. Where's my wife? You, like, lost her. Turns out his, like, daughter's there. And, like, uh, Polzig's been keeping her there captive. Where's my wife, Karen, and my daughter? Karen? Well, what do you mean? Where is she? Come, this way. Peter, where is he? Never mind him. But you will be dead soon if you don't come with me quickly. And Karen! Karen is dead. No! I mean Karen, your daughter, Madame Persig. What do you mean? She's alive, here in this house. She's Persig's wife. 
it ends in like a crazy, crazy fucking scene where Vader Gas like chains up Polzig and skins him alive. Yeah, he's gonna flay him. It, yeah, yeah. It is. It is it's, super wild. It's super dark for that time period. Yeah, too, and, and this is pre code, and yeah. so like, and this movie, I didn't know who the fuck these characters were. Like, there was no like mummy or like right. Dracula character. I was just like so drawn in though. Like the, again, a super engrossing movie with like these original characters, or not original because this is based off of Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> but it's really not because Edgar Allan Poe's story is about a man who murders his wife and walls her up, and then like keeps hearing a cat meowing because he accidentally walled the cat up with the right. wife, and the cat's been eating the body to stay alive. Right. I forgot <laughs> that the the uh, Vader guest like is scared of cats. He's like, oh, yeah. he's like, ah! he freaks out and pulls it. He's like carrying them around everywhere, essentially. The uh, the funny thing about the the women in stasis scene, um, what I've what I've been led to believe um, from some of the things I've read is that uh, the even though it was pre code, they were told that the wife being in stasis was too much for audiences, and they asked um, uh, Edgar G. Ulmer, who directed, to remove that scene from the film. And Universal Studios even ponied up the money for him to reshoot. And in his reshoots, instead, what he did is shoot the scene where there's an entire hallway of women in stasis. Right, right. <laughs> and so, yeah. and put that in the movie. And they were like, fuck. Like, I guess we just got to put it out. Right. I mean, and it's very striking visually. Like, they don't, obviously don't show him, like, skinning him alive. But, yeah. like, he is, like... He's... Sometimes the implication's worse. Yeah, and he looks like he's being crucified. Like, his yeah. arms are stretched out, and you see the shadow up against the wall. And uh, uh, Lugosi's performance is just, like, incredible, where he's just, like, telling him, I'm going to skin you alive. Like... It's yeah. insane. They're incredibly electric on screen together. Yeah. And that's one of the things that people don't often talk about enough. And they end up doing many films together. I watched The Invisible Ray, which is perhaps not a great film, but like they're magnetic when they're together. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. I tweeted that out and uh, our friend Keith Walker, who listens to the show, says like, yeah, Bella Lugosi always makes a good sidekick. And I don't think that's fair. Like, yeah, exactly. I don't think that's fair. I just think, you know, clearly Karloff is, I think... Even history agrees with this. Karloff is the better actor. But I think there's something really charismatic when you put those two together. Uh, so, Gavin, what was your favorite? So, my favorite would have to be then... And I'm so I'm actually so glad you didn't pick it. I'm just really glad you picked Black Cat. Because I, I do love the Black Cat. Um, but is Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. I think Bride of Frankenstein is really the masterpiece. And this is sort of what... Uh, I've been trying to get at when when we're talking about these films is I think you know one of the things that makes some of the earlier ones so sh- striking and strong is the the directors and the directorial intent behind the decisions. I don't I don't think you get as a pop culturally long lasting Dracula without Todd Browning in the director's chair. And admittedly, like there is the Spanish Dracula, which was filmed at the same time, which is actually a, a genuine, genuinely better movie. Yeah. For a few years, at the dawn of talkies, Hollywood was producing simultaneous foreign language versions of its domestic product. Um, some of these were in French, some of them were in German, most of them were in Spanish. And Paul Koner had the opportunity to do the Spanish version of Dracula, and he decided to uh, upstage Todd Browning's effort. The result is a film that, unlike many of these foreign versions, which are very forgettable today, is actually superior on most technical levels to the Todd Browning film. You know, there's this myth that the uh, camera, you know, in 1930 in Hollywood was, you know, immobilized behind these sound boxes, and it it really was not the case. And there's a tremendous fluidity of camera movement in the Spanish Dracula, especially one shot where Dracula first appears, where a huge crane was used 
to kind of sweep up the steps from the bottom, from Renfield's point of view, to uh, Dracula's full figure, you know, standing there holding, holding the candle. Um, it, it's really a stunning moment. Browning does very little with it uh, in the film. Uh, Dracula is just kind of seen plodding down the stairs. But a lot of that atmosphere and everything still comes from the Todd Browning version. The same thing with Frankenstein. You get a lot of the stuff, and a lot of it comes from James Whale. Yeah. I have this biography of James Whale that's right next to me right mm-hmm. now. Um, he went on to direct The Invisible Man, as well as doing the first two Frankenstein films. And he didn't and, want to do Bride of Frankenstein, right? No. No, he, he absolutely didn't. He didn't really want to tread the same water, you know? Right. And I, I don't blame him uh, for that. You know, clearly doing something like The Invisible Man is like, it, you know, it's a challenge. It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bonkers. Universal had determined they were going to make a sequel all the way back to the, the preview screenings of the first movie. Um, and that's why they changed the original ending so Henry Frankenstein would survive. Um, he James Whale refused because he thought, you know, as I mentioned, the ideas had been squeezed dry. Um, and so he eventually decided to come back because he leveraged making this movie he wanted to make called One More River um, with getting... There was like, I'll make this movie for you. Let me make this other movie. Um, so screenwriter Robert Flory wrote a treatment entitled The New Adventures of Frankenstein, The Monster Lives, but it was rejected without comment early in 1932. There's so... Without comment? Yeah. No. Exactly. There's, there's so many different um, versions of the script that came out. Uh, I want to say there's at least four, but the final script combining elements of a number of these versions was submitted for the Hayes office review in November, 1934. So we're already at the Hayes code. So we're not, we're no longer pre-code. Right. Um, and, uh, sources report Bela Lugosi and Claude Rains were considered with varying degrees of seriousness for the role of Frankenstein's mentor, Pretorius. Other reports that the role was created specifically for Ernest Thesiger. Thesiger? I never know how to say his name. I really like him though. Um, the early in production, Whale decided that the same actress cast to play the bride should also play Mary Shelley in the film's prologue to represent how the story and horror in general springs from the dark side of the mag- imagination. He considered Bridget Helm and Phyllis Brooks before deciding on Elsa Lanchester, who was mentioned in last week's episode. Lanchester, oh, that's right. I forgot they have that, this entire like prologue. Yeah. And they're like milking every word. Oh my God. It is crazy. Elsa Lanchester is having the fucking time of her life. And she was a child at that point. She and, was not old. Like And those two gays? Oh yeah. How beautifully dramatic. The cruelest savage exhibition of nature at her worst without. And we three. We elegant three within. I should like to think that my rape Jehovah was pointing those arrows of lightning directly at my head. The unbowed head of George Gordon, Lord Byron, England's greatest sinner. But I cannot flatter myself to that extent. Possibly those thunders of our dear Shelley. Heaven's applause for England's greatest poet. What of my Mary? She is an angel. You think so? Like every syllable is just like insane coming out of their mouth. And then and that's and that's the thing I sort of want to get at. But anyways. Everybody really knows the the story of Bride of Frankenstein. The story of Bride of Frankenstein is it's kind of like he's like maybe learned his lesson, right? Yeah, the and doctor's like, learned his lesson, but a mentor of his comes back and is like, "Listen, we're gonna create life," but he's like super gaining it up. He's so gay, <laughs> and like he comes and is like, "Listen, I need you to create life. I've tried myself. All I've got is these miniature things, which right. is my favorite part of the movie." Right, right. So and, like, he he's like a crazy like he's like surprise another crazy doctor character, yeah. but like Doctor Pretorius, and he does like different crazy. Though. Yeah, and he's like, 
he has like he makes people but miniature people. He's right. I can only make them small, but I want to make a big one. And also, you find out the monster's alive, and the monster's all like, "I want somebody to fucking like me." Right. He's like, and not even that's and that's this yeah, and that's the crux is you know the bride of Frankenstein's a little misleading because the monster's not really it's not like the creature from the Black Lagoon. He's not interested in getting somebody that he can fuck with. He just wants a friend. Yeah. You know because. If you've seen the first movie, you know how that ends. Mm-hmm. He's picking flowers with a girl one minute, he's throwing a river in the next. Yeah. yeah. So he wants somebody who understands him. So Kismet, Pretorius is like, see, even he wants you to create life again. Mm-hmm. So they go about doing it. They create a female monster. Things do not go well. She looks great, though. She looks fantastic. She's really, you know, sp- talking about being able to beat a face. Right. <laughs> like, and it's like, I, I didn't know anything about this movie coming and watching it. And so I did not know that the Bride of Frankenstein is in it for like five, ten minutes. Yeah. And her only line is, ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, all was, she, all she cool. does is look at Frankenstein and yell at him. Um, and, and so things do not go well. Mon- the monster gets its famous line of, we belong dead. And, uh, you know, they, he kills them. He kills them. He blows up the tower, correct? Yeah, he blows up the tower. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure. Does he? Yeah, he, well, he, the, uh, Pretorius definitely dies. Yeah. Um, I, I want to say, uh, the doctor, though, escapes. He does escape. He does not come back for the next movie, which I also particularly like, which is, um, Son of Frankenstein, which, if you've seen Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein, it's basically that. It's that movie. And it's so funny because, like, he really did a straight up parody of that movie. Um, and in that movie, it's Basil Rathbone. He's the son. I just really love, I think there's a lot of emotion in Bride of Frankenstein. I think there's a lot of, Beauty and Pride of Frankenstein, and it's just really an extremely gay movie. And it's it's interesting because the other thing is Dr. Pretorius is allowed to be sort of such a loud queenie type character also because Colin Clive wasn't in the best of health. But when he, Colin Clive plays Dr. Frankenstein and when they made the first movie Whale had some trepidation about him even though they were friends, because he was an alcoholic. And by the time that they made Bride of Frankenstein, he was really succumbing to his alcoholism. And it was an issue on the set. So it sort of allowed him to sort of play up these other characters and really get the performance. Like, uh, Colin Clive was actually considering not coming back for the film. Um, But I I just really... One of the things... It's a visually very stunning film, but also there is... I was talking about this with someone earlier this week. There's a there's no non queer reading of this. Right. James Whale was a gay man in a time in which you could not be a gay man. He slept with men. It was no secret. Right. Um. And uh, there's a really beautiful film called Gods and Monsters. If you've not seen it, starring Ian McKellen as James Whale. That's all about his later life. He falls in love with Brendan Fraser, who's shirtless throughout most of the movie. And yeah, it's take young, me there. It's young Brendan Fraser too, so it's real nice. Uh, but uh, that's on my things to do list. Yeah, exactly. I can let you borrow it before you go. Okay, um, but uh, the it's it's a really fantastic movie. I highly recommend that. And I also love the way that Whale sort of played around with the with the things that he was allowed and wasn't allowed to do. In the original Frankenstein, there's this prologue of the film, which is a man coming out and warning you that, uh, you know, it's going to be scary. And it's very tongue-in-cheek, and it's right. very camp. And so this movie, as you mentioned, they start, they bookend it with Mary Shelley telling the story of Frankenstein. And it is, once again, a very camp. Super camp. And, and that's one of the things is I feel like Whale, because he ended up having so much 
control of this film, yeah. he was he was allowed to put something very personal of himself into that, and it shines through. And I don't know. It's, do it's, you think like when you say that? Do you think like the monster? Is like, oh yeah, there's definitely a quality. I mean, there's a really great extri- exchange um, uh, between. I mean, the, there's so many. There's so many really good lines from Doctor Pretorius himself. Um, he says at one point, "Follow the lead of nature or of God." If you like your Bible stories, male and female created to them, be fruitful and multiply. Create a race, a man-made race upon the face of the earth. Why not? And it's this so cavalier sort of like. Like, we're two men and we can make something together, you right, know, like right. that sort of also the there's this great exchange he has with the with the monster that's very tongue in cheek. Do you know who Henry Frankenstein is and who you are? Yes, I know. Made me from dead. I love dead. Hate living. You're wise in your generation. We must have a long talk, and then I have an important call to make. And I just love how cavalier and how, like, Pretorius is, like, he's Scar. Yeah. Like, if if you haven't seen this movie before, it's like, and you're thinking about, like, what do you mean when we say, like, gay can be, like, he very much is in the vein of Scar, and, or, you know, I'm sure Scar was maybe based on him, and, like, a long line of, like, gay villains who were just, like, very, like, swishy and, like, devious. And, and I like, you know, because of the... I f- there's a connection between Pretorius and the monster. As you mentioned, like, the monster is sort of the outsider. And I feel like it's very clear that Pretorius, because he's one of the few people who gets along with the monster, I really feel like there, the, a lot of that connection is having to do with, you know, whale feeling like, like an, an outsider. outsider. Yeah. yeah, totally. And it's like, you don't belong, and all you want is companionship, and, you know, you don't understand why you were made the way you were. Right. And, you it, like, Frankenstein has no control over, like, you know, he was dead. Right. Yeah, and there's there's plenty of references to that over over many of the films where he's basically like, I didn't ask for this, you yeah, know. That, I, and that, he like he, his his father, quote unquote, like Doctor Frankenstein, has abandoned him. Yeah, he just like he's he's either like trying to use him for like evil or like he is just like fuck, I fucked up, bye, whatever, don't care, like I'm I've I've moved on, and so like, what the fuck is the, the monster supposed to do? Yeah, and it, it's it's like the most emotionally like rich. Of, I think, the monsters. Absolutely. I just love Bride of Frankenstein. Um, but yeah, do you want to move into our fast forward? I would absolutely love to move into our fast forward. Moving on uh, d- down the line, as we've mentioned before, Universal realizes that they, they sort of have this cash cow that they don't really know what to do with. Right. Um, and uh, it's an interesting thing. So what they're trying to do now... Well, wait. Before that... Yeah. There was the Mummy movies with our friend Brendan Fraser. Yes, the Mummy movie in the nineties. Um, I really like the first one. I know people like the second one. The uh, it's not my cup of tea. But I don't think I saw the third one. I never did either. Uh, with Maria Bello replacing um, Rachel Vice. Rachel Vice, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Why? It was like Chinese dragons or Chinese. Yeah, mummies? it was. It was like Jet Li's in it, and it's like Tomb of the Dragon Emperor or right. something like that. Yeah, listen, everybody's got to get a paycheck at some point. Sure. Oh, I do distinctly remember seeing the second one in the theater and being like, I hate kid actors. I hate this kid because mm-hmm. they they have a child in that one. Yeah. Worst. Mm-hmm. Hate Worst. kid actors. You know but, how I feel about kid actors. But, but yeah, so Universal has tried over the years to sort of like bring their monster movies back piecemeal. They started with the mummy movies right. in the 90s. It was kind of like they were like relegated to like 
rides at Universal Studios. It was like the mommy experience or like, you know, uh, they would have like on Halloween, they would bring them out for their Universal Studios experiences or whatever. Uh, and and then they did the Wolfman. Yeah, well, they before they did the Wolfman, they Stephen Summers who directed the first two. I don't think he did the third. No, he definitely didn't do the third one. Uh, Mummy movies did Van Helsing, which was right. their next attempt to sort of launch a Universal monster movie. It's uh, with um, Wolverine. Hugh, yeah, Hugh Jackman as Van Helsing, and Dracula's in it, and Frankenstein's monster is in it, and uh, it's a disaster all around. Um, I Kate, remember he Kate like, Beckinsdale's the the like female. He has big hair it. in this movie, right? Yeah, he has a lot of hair. Right. Um, and then they remade Wolfman. Joe Johnson remade Wolfman with uh, Benicio, Benicio del Toro, um, which is a very flawed film. Uh, though I did see it in the theater. Um, I did not watch it. It looks boring as fuck. Yeah, it's really not. I just also don't like. The, you know, if there's one thing that you can take away from the Universal Studios monster movies is there's so much you can do with physical effects, mm-hmm. and to, you to, don't to, need like all this yeah, CGI to garbage. Turn these into like CGI fest. Regardless, Wolfman failure. Their next attempt, Dracula Untold. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, Dracula Untold was this film that came that didn't even come out that long ago, 2014, starring Luke Evans as Dracula. Dominic Cooper's in the movie, which is funny because I genuinely believe they're the same person. Right. And, um, okay. and Charles Dance. Um, Dance. Charles Dance. Uh, and yeah, it was this movie that was set up to be like a, a new Dracula movie that was going to launch their, their new, um, uh, franchise. And, uh, because that's a, the other thing you sort of have to understand about the Universal Monster movies is they were sort of the, the way Marvel makes movies now. It was only Universal that created a franchise, that created uh, recurring characters, uh, diverse monster characters, and uh, mined them for everything they could, uh, everything they could get. These kinds of programmers became really the backbone of the studio's income, and uh, without them. Uh, Hollywood history would be very different. I mean, where would Americans go for their summer vacations if not to Universal Studios? So that's really what Universal is trying to do is they're like, we own these monsters. We own this sort of IP of the way Dracula looks and everything. Um, And so they did this Dracula movie, Dracula Untold, and they were like, oh, this is going to be a big hit. So they filmed it after the credit sequence, which revealed Dracula was still alive nowadays. And then the movie flopped. Right. Um, So... They decided, no, they're like, we're going to create a writer's room and we're going to give it another try. And that culminates into 2017's The Mummy starring Tom Cruise. Garbage. Yeah, it is really garbage. I have seen it. Um, I, it's really bad. I, I know what's wild is that they were like, this is going to happen and we're going to tell everyone what's coming. Yes. And like, I was like, why are you guys blowing your load on like this movie? Tom Cruise can barely like right. front a movie anymore. Uh, on I'm this t- like tired property. I was like, I don't know that people really wanted to like re re-enter in the mummy. The mummy seems the, like a very yeah. weird place to re-enter. Yeah. Into. That's, that's the other thing too, is like, I genuinely don't understand why it's always the mummy. It feels like, like the Brendan Fraser flicks are still kind of like, on the consciousness of right. like general pop culture, and so I would have. I mean, I know Dracula must just have flopped. I mean, maybe if they would have gone like the Frankenstein route or something, it feels weird. Yeah, and so uh, I just want to put this out there, by the way, too, because we we're talking earlier. The things that really make the early Universal Studios monster movies is the um, creative direction driven by yeah. the directors. Totally, 2017's 
Mummy movie was directed by Alex Kurtzman. This was the first film he's directed. Oh my god. Um, he... Who thought this was a good idea? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is like a studio-driven thing. Right. This, is, this is not like an, an artist he doing anything. He is the co-writer of Michael Bay's The Island, The Legend of Zorro, <laughs> which is the sequel of Zorro, oh, okay. Mission Impossible 3, Transformers, I'll give him Star Trek, in 2009, more Transformers, Cowboys and Aliens, wow. like, Star Trek in the Darkness, The Amazing Spider-Man 2... Which is such a piece of shit. Like, I love Andrew Garfield, though. Now You See Me too. Oh my god, now... See, they should have left Now You See Me alone. Yeah. And also, why didn't they just call it Now You See Me Again? Doesn't that make sense? <laughs> or Now You Don't? Something. Like, aren't those better names? I feel like he has a very specific brand <laughs> yeah. of, like, straight white dude writing. Yeah. It's like, and so they, they gave him this big budget film, and from all... from. The reports, it sounds like Tom Cruise maybe overrid a lot of his decisions anyways because he's Tom fucking Cruise. Oh, absolutely. Like, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a disaster. It's not a horror movie. It's not an action movie. It's like... And like, you can do a horror action movie, but this was neither. Right. And um, I remember seeing the trailer. I didn't watch the movie, but I remember yeah. the trailer of The Mummy. They, they have that girl who's like really hot or whatever. Yeah. She was in Atomic Blonde. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Speaking um, of being really hot. Yeah. Can't remember her name. Um, but like... In the trailer, I'm like, oh, God, they made this poor girl, like, get all dressed up as a sexy mummy and yeah. have her, they have her chained up and she's like, I'm a sexy mummy. Oh, like, it looked gross yeah. and weird. Well, also, Tom Cruise just has no chemistry with anyone anymore. Jake Johnson's in the movie. I don't know how they got it. Like, was, was he really, like, that bored on hiatus from New Girl? New Girl? Like, and he utters possibly the worst line in film history, which is, dude, and I'm going to spoil this for you guys, by the way. Jane Johnson dies up front, and suddenly he's alive at the end because Tom Cruise has become, like, part mummy. And he's, right. like, and he's like, dude, thanks for bringing me back to life. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Worst <laughs> line in film history. Um, probably not in film history, but yeah. Dude. Dude, thanks for bringing me back to life. Um, you slay me. Yeah. The, it's, it's a mess, and... I know they. This is the problem, as you mentioned before. The, this is the start of their "quote unquote" dark universe, which is their version of Marvel films, but with monster movies. Um, they even introduced um, Doctor Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, Doctor Jekyll and Hyde, um, played by Russell Crowe, and uh, he leads some arcane group that I cannot remember the name of because it's the most forgettable name. But they're basically Shield, <laughs> and they like hunt down monsters and. Uh, yeah, and so they want to build this franchise universe, and the next film was supposed to be The Invisible Man starring Johnny Depp, God. but, like, God, Johnny Depp's stock's us. fallen. Right. And, uh, God help us. So God now, help Universal. So now, supposedly, Bill Condon's Bride of Frankenstein, which Bill Condon directed Gods and Monsters, so you'd think he would have, like, insight into James Whale, but I'm very nervous. Right. Um, but that's supposed to be the next film. But in my humble opinion... Universal should cut their losses, and if they want to try again, try again, but ignore this mummy shit. So what do you want going forward with... I think... I mean, I, I know if they're going to continue to do these... One of the things I love about the Universal Studios monster movies is that they're so slightly nebulous in terms... Like, they're so grandiose in their design. Even things like, you know, something like The Invisible Ray, which I watched, which is clearly set contemporary to when it came out, but at the same time doesn't feel like the 30s. Right. Or, like, you know, the the Frankenstein... The first Frankenstein movie is not contemporary to the, to the 30s, but, like, there's nothing that really feels untimely about it. Right. And I, I like that they do that sort of thing. So, like... 
I think going forward, Universal has to invest themselves into creatives who are willing, willing to build their own universe. You know, the, I guess one of the things Universal had the advantage of is, is really coming off of silent films and a lot of silent films were, um, not all silent films, but a lot of them were, um, really influenced by German expressionism and they, they had those really insane large sets. Yeah. And, and like the lighting was yeah. so like just, they were creating moods. Yeah. It wasn't just like, you know, I mean now with this mummy shit and Dracula untold, it's just kind of like very, uh, it's paint by numbers. It just it feels like everything else that has come before. You it's know? like, Oh, like, do you still like know that there's like things that are happening today that are like old and sh- like shit, dude? Like, it's just, it's so fucking tired. And, I, and I'm trying to think of like really tense, creepy things. And I'm thinking about like Black Mirror a lot. Yeah. And you know, that stuff is like contemporary, but it, but also like they're building their own like world. I mean, it feels like why can't, like, I would love, uh, another quiet movie that is right. really fucking tense and insane. Um, because all these remakes seem, are just fucking loud. They're in your face and there's no mystery. Right. It's, there's no like, um, you know, cutaway and seeing the shadows and, um, there's nothing left to your imagination about like what creepiness really could happen. It's just all, you know, sexy mummies and like Tom Cruise and like shit blowing up. Yeah. You know, and, and it shouldn't be about that. It's, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like there, there can be a way to tell, like imagine the black cat now. You yeah. Know? Like, and, and the weird fucking creepy shit like that. I mean, I think the invisible man is super fucking creepy. Like, yeah. And I remember, What's the Kevin Bacon version of this? Oh, the... Um, Hollow Man. The Hollow Man, which is a real piece of shit. But also very fucking creepy. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, but it is, at minimum, like, meets the creepy bar. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and if they're really gonna... It's it's weird, because I wonder if Universal is really committed to, like, actually making scary movies. But I don't think they are, and I think that's re- really the problem. You know, right. it's, so, it's so funny, the... Because they, they're, they're, they're not gonna make as much money, like... Right. They, they, well, that's the thing, is film studios sort of freaked out when Deadpool came out, and they're like, oh, there's money in rated R horror... Uh, like, rated R superhero movies. Right. And, like, maybe that's what Universal needs, is they, they need somebody to make a, cl- like, very classic... A horror, horror film yeah. and make money off of well, it. Well, it's like, I mean, so it, it, I mean, it, it kind of seems like there's like a horror, um, renaissance happening right now. Yeah. Like a lot of, I mean, and I've never seen like the Annabelle creation, whatever. Oh, movies. yeah, yeah. Don't watch Annabelle. But the, but, but the other, the ones that spawn the Conjuring, the Conjuring and all that stuff, is really like, good. Yeah. Th- they make a lot of fucking money. Yeah. People uh, love it, follows. I'm not a huge fan, but people love it. Right. And then, so, like, and then now with it come, like the remake yeah. of it, making a shit ton of money, uh, it feels like we're kind of in a horror, like, renaissance. Um, at minimum where there's audiences that are like clamoring for it and there's lots of money in there. And so it just seems very weird that Universal would not like lean into that. Yeah. Um, with these characters that are supposed to be spooky and creepy. Um, and instead kind of go into like action route and yeah. like blockbuster, uh, you know, Michael Bay bullshit. Like, yeah. Why? No, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's such a weird tact. So I guess, yeah, I would hope that they would actually turn more towards horror, like the way that they, you know, it, it, or or just unease. It was just know? like, you know, strip away all the, like, hundreds of millions of dollars of budget. Like, right. make a small movie that is scary as fuck. You know? That's what, actually, there was um, Jason Bloom, who runs Bloomhouse Productions, um, which notoriously do films on the cheap. They actually did The Conjuring and everything. But that they, they like do these smaller films, but put them out to a large audience in order to make money. Has asked Universal if they could possibly, if he could 
produce yeah. one in the sort of dark universe. And I, I more curious about that than I've been about anything else that they've announced. Yeah. Because I'm, maybe that's the route to go. Maybe also like free themselves from the whole like universe. Like we all have to like kind of share together and like bringing in fucking Dr. Jekyll and everyone and his son. Like, right. Just make one fucking good movie about like the Wolfman. Right. And call it a day. It's kind of like with the whole, uh, with DC, like they made one good movie with like Wonder Woman. Yeah. Call it a day. Yeah. Uh, instead of having to like try and wrangle like everything under the fucking sun, um, they're just shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. So I guess that wraps up our talk about Universal Studios. If there's anything that we didn't touch on, and trust me, there's a lot of stuff in Universal Monsters that we did not get to. Yeah. If there's anything that we missed or anything that you want us to go more in depth about, maybe we can revisit this at some point. You can find us online on Twitter at the Mixed Reviews. You can find us on Facebook. <laughs> Just type in the Mixed Reviews. Uh, you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail dot com. Make sure and go um, vote for um, your favorite movie um it'll be up next wednesday and you can vote and um, hopefully gavin doesn't lose again because he's such a fucking crybaby <laughs> um he, by the way uh we did get a, a small mention in time out new york as oh, america's uh, like new york's it was like new york's funniest podcast. Com- comedy podcast and i was because we're totally a comedy that, podcast that's what i do yeah i'm comedy i'm com- i am comedy ever heard of it um we were number 13 which is a very lucky number I right think. so yeah um, that's right but yeah you find us find us on time out new york and uh we're gonna go away and talk about what we're gonna do in two weeks so See you guys later i hope you guys had a very spooky yeah ooky creepy and kooky mm-hmm. halloween uh, see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. White on white, translucent black capes, back on the rack. The little goose is dead, the bats have left the bell tower. The victims have been bled, that velvet lines, the black box. The little goose is dead. 